Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Latter Day Takes. On today's episode, we have the fighter jet pilot, former fighter jet pilot from the Air Force, Clark Kamen, joining us once again. If you remember a little over a year ago, around the time Top Gun came out, Clark came on to talk about his own experiences, what could have been reality, what could have not been reality on the movie, and things like that. Clark comes in, we talk a little bit about his time in the Middle East, other crazy experiences he's had as a jet pilot, and then various other things, of course. You will have to excuse the fact that the episode ends somewhat abruptly, and that's mainly just because I think Clark may have had an internet connection problem on his end, but we kind of figured it was a pretty good stopping point. So we just went with that, and so it does conclude quickly, but... Either way, we, it's a pretty good episode. I think you'll enjoy it. Hope you all are having a great week. Hope you had a great Halloween. We'll catch you on the other side. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. It, and they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, joining me today in the, not studio, but you know, in the Riverside studio, is friend of the program, Clark Heyman, a.k.a. Slider for his call sign, fighter jet pilot, mm. flew missions, from what I understand, all over the world. Um... And we'll get to that. But more than anything, I wanted Clark to come back on because last time you were on, we talked Top Gun, which was awesome. That was a great, great to have your expertise hmm. involved in all that and kind of giving us a little bit more of what goes on behind the scenes and things like that and what was real um, about the Top Gun movie, which, spoiler alert, all of it was. Um, <laughs> regardless, what I really wanted to do was talk Middle East conflict today, talk about your own experiences, your own insights, because I figured for somebody that's flown in the Middle East on certain Michigans, Michigan, gosh, on certain missions, uh, that... Sign yeah, stealing. Exactly. That may or may not be classified. Um, and somebody that's active on Twitter l looking over the uh, Middle East conflict, I figure you and I could solve it probably right now with this podcast. So let's just go ahead and do that. <laughs> Clark, how you been, dude? Dude, thanks. Yeah, good. Thanks for having me back. Good seeing you the other week. Uh, Harper and I went to Texas Tech games. That's right. Uh, and saw BYU crush Texas Tech. That was surprising. That was surprising. Uh, were you surprised? I was very surprised. Uh, it was good to see. I was... Texas was not surprising. <laughs> no, Texas was not surprising. That was actually weirdly disappointing. I was like, I don't, I don't get how... Yeah. Like, because I was talking to my brother before the game... And he's like, dude, we're going to get slaughtered. And I was like, absolutely. And he's like, are you even like going to be upset when we do? And I was like, that all depends. I was like, that all depends. Because if we lose in a fashion that's still frustrating, that's still possible to see that like where we had opportunities that we squandered. And I kind of felt like that was the case. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. We were not going to win that game. But it was frustrating to see right. that like our defense actually showed up and our offense didn't do jack. Slovis looked really bad. Yeah like stuff like that really to the bad. point where I'm I'm tempted yeah. to take him off of the bumper at the beginning of the podcast so we'll see oh if he doesn't excuse get his me. Act together did you I know like that was it. him that's a hot take there for yeah. no I did not know that when when was that was that back so, in the day no no, no 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 I I never I didn't have him on personally but it was just like the bumper thing that I created that goes on the beginning of every podcast episode and like yeah. his his yeah. is the audio clip where he's he's on a podcast and he's saying 
that he's talking about BYU fans, and he's saying like, yeah, they're all, like they're all Mormon, right? Like so, like none of them are drinking, and he's like, but they're still sat, sitting there just shouting out, Slovis, you stink. And that's Slovis talking about BYU <laughs> okay. fans. So got it. Oh, that's he, good. he may lose his position if he doesn't <laughs> clean up his act here soon. But anyway. <laughs> We'll send him an email. That's right. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Uh, it's good to be back. I, I know your your uh, your fans here um, really appreciate some some inside baseball on everything aviation. Yeah. So I hope to be your um, Middle Eastern correspondent. Absolutely. Uh, for Among many stuff. other things, Top Gun correspondent, all that stuff, man. <laughs> we'll work on the contract. Uh, later. How many times did you? fly over the middle east and but which if i'm not mistaken you're going to bring some interactivity to this like you're going to share some screens and show us some things that you've done which should be cool do that whenever um yeah okay yeah so uh, big picture uh just for everyone who doesn't know um i was uh in the air force from 2011 i just separated active duty this year um so during that entire time flying um through pilot training and then flying the F-15E Strike Eagle. Um, and the F-15 is pretty cool. It, uh, its main job is to fight its way to a target, drop bombs, and then fight its way home. It's kind of what it was designed for. Um, and I deployed uh, to the Middle East one time um, during the ISIS time. And so I think it was 2016 I was there, April Remind to October. what was going on for the ISIS and, time, uh, as you put it. Like, ISIS is obviously like a terrorist group, uh, kind of like Hamas, but obviously these, there's different factions to all this, and we don't need to get into the weeds of that because it's a little bit hard to explain. But they're essentially a terrorist group. Not essentially. They are a terrorist group, self-proclaimed. Um, yeah. And what happened in 2016 to get you to be involved as a military operator? Yeah, so the I'm actually reading a book right now called Killing the Killers by Bill O'Reilly. Um, his killing series is really agree. good. And it's all about kind of the special forces, this one. And so it starts off with the Osama bin Laden raid. And, um, and when Osama bin Laden was killed, it created a vacuum and, uh, in, in terrorism, if you will. And didn't know who's going to take over next. And al-Baghdadi is his name, is, was kind of the leader of ISIS. And he was the one, originally they were with Al-Qaeda, um, and they were Al-Qaeda Iraq, I believe. And they splintered off and created ISIS, which is uh, the Islamic State of, of uh, Iraq and Syria, is what it is. It then changed to Iraq and the Levant, or Syria and the Levant. So ISIL, ISIL. I've heard people talk about ISIL. That's, that makes sense. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Iraq and the Levant. So that's ISIL and ISIS are synonymous. The other the other phrase that the uh, Arab world calls them is Daesh, which is a um, it's supposed to be like derogatory towards them. It's kind of like when we called the the Germans the Huns back in the day in like World War Two. That's kind of their derogatory way of calling ISIS. Kind of like we're not going to acknowledge you as legitimate. So Daesh is the other term. Anyway, long story short, they basically ran. Uh, over Iraq and Syria and just like took over lots and lots and lots of land. Um, and they took advantage of Syria that was already in a civil war. And then Iraq, which we kind of stepped away from and there wasn't a strong presence there. And they just took over basically Eastern Syria and Western Iraq and just that big swap of, or swath of, of land. 
Um, and so that was early 20, uh, I'd say 15, 16. There was a quote by President Obama that said that ISIS is a JV squad. And he's like, if you put Lakers jerseys on, on you know, a high school team, it doesn't make them Lakers, you know, kind of putting them down. But in reality, they ended up taking over so much land that we had to get involved. Um, and so by the time I showed up, there were already um, one entire six-month squadron of F-15s plus other F-16s, A-10s, B-1s. There was a, there was a ton of aircraft What's flying overhead. What's a six-month squadron? I'd say any given moment. So like we, we would deploy in six-month time frames. And so um, when my group went out, we started in April and went to October. And come October, another squadron was showing up. And they, we call it, they rip us out. So we, we left and then they continued. And where do you go so to have when you go of, for the six months there? Where do you go when you're not there for six months? Um, when you're not there, so I was based out okay. of England. So we went home. So we would, we would go back to our home. So you'd only England. be deployed for about six um, months? And then during this... Okay, I thought yeah. maybe there was like a closer yep. base that you'd like kind of hang out at just to be closer or whatever. But anyway, sorry. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we definitely, yeah, there were, there were multiple bases around the Middle East that, um, that they would put us. Um, and so it, it kind of is a little bit of a, a logistical nightmare because one group, it might be in, um, you know, the UAE, whereas another group might be over in, um, Saudi Arabia or Jordan or, uh, Turkey, so you're kind of put all throughout the area. Can you say where, where you we were, were based out of was the UAE? Nice. Yeah, so we were we were in the UAE, um, and it it wouldn't take much googling for someone to figure out exactly where. So, but I'll I'll leave that part off. Um, but um, from the UAE all the way up to Iraq and Syria took about two and a half hours to get there, and so we would immediately take off, meet up with a tanker as we would be two jets. We would meet up with a tanker. And then we would fly with the tanker all the way up the Arabian Gulf and then into Iraq. And then if we were working in Syria that day, we would keep flying over Iraq and into Syria. Um, so it's about two and a half hours up. We'd be on station for about two hours to three hours, depending on what's going on. And then it was about an hour and a half getting home. And we would refuel five times during that uh, one, we called a sortie. So during that one flight, we'd refuel about five times. Um, and we'd be airborne anywhere between, I think my low was maybe around six and a half, seven hours. And then my high was like over 11 hours in the jet the whole time, um, as a two ship. So what the game plan was, and it worked out really well is we'd have air force aircraft overhead and then you'd have what's called the Kurds. So the Kurdish people who were a... Um, rejected people of both Iraq, Syria, Turkey. They're considered terrorists to a lot of these nations, um, probably because some of the stuff that they would do is uh, borderline terrorism. And um, But they were the ones that fought back and won the land back from ISIS. And so they would push to a city. We would roll in overhead. We would drop bombs on the city, on, onto the ISIS um, positions. And once it was kind of clear, then the, the Kurds would come in on the ground and take over the city and, and kind of move, move the line. And it was a literal line. Like they had big um, caterpillar stuff. They would have had big um, equipment to kind of move earth and move dirt, you know, around. 
Um, and they would, you could see it from the, the air. You'd see these big berms throughout the, the Syria landscape um, as they moved the line forward and took back the land from, from ISIS. Hmm. Yeah, so did this for six months. I did six, 60 flights over that area in that six months. Um, so about averaging oh, 60 flights would be how many times a week, I guess? At that point, you're looking at about 25-ish weeks, 10 times a month-ish. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, got about almost, I think it was like close to 700 hours above that time. Now, granted, most of it was flying Recon to and from. Um, but, oh, gotcha. Okay. No, most of it, like literally just getting up there. Yeah, we were just stationed so far away. Whereas the guys that were closer in Jordan or in Turkey, they were they were there pretty quick. Um, so I got to ask you, so, real but quick, you know, as you think about note, it, yeah, just as a quick aside, is dog fighting a thing anymore? Like, does that even happen? Um, we, we trained to it for sure. Right. Um, and what actually during that time, a U.S. F-18, so Navy F-18 shot down a, um, Syrian, um, I think it was a MiG twenty one. I want to say, and that was the first air to air kill of like piloted aircraft from to a piloted aircraft since uh, Kosovo. Maybe there was something in Libya. Like it's been a while. Yeah, um, and that happened and while you were there. I've I've seen the video. It really what? Uh, I think so. It was around that time. I don't I don't really quite remember. We've shot down since drones. Like Iranian drones and stuff. Uh, that's all in the news. What did you say about the video, um, though? But You've seen it? it? Yeah, I saw the video, and like it, it wasn't like what you think what would think of. Like the dude just wasn't responding, and he. I, I mean, I don't really remember all the circumstances, but they were, they were threatening um, U.S. forces and U.S. things, and they got the green light and, and shot him down. So, um, the but the the rules of engagement to shoot someone down like that is. is it's it's pretty tight because um, it's that's a big deal, and when I was there, the Russians showed up in Syria and they've been there since. Um, and since they showed up, like you know, I've seen Russian aircraft airborne now and been somewhat close to them. But we were as friendly as you can get. You know, nobody really wants to start a, a war with Russia, um, so you don't shoot each other. But you know, they would lock into us and we'd lock into them and that kind of stuff, but you don't want to escalate things. And, um, mm-hmm. it just takes one idiot when you say lock in, what does to, that mean to do exactly? something like that? So our radar has uh, air to air capability. And so we can put our radar onto another aircraft and then that aircraft will have kind of uh, sensing on it that will detect if there's radar energy put on it and it will give you tones in your, your helmet, um, and some stuff on the screen to tell you, Hey, somebody's locked onto you. Um, so that's, you know, going back to Top Gun, that's the kind of stuff you hear sometimes of like, oh, we, they're shooting at me and that kind of stuff. And you might hear a beep in the, in the headset and that, that would be what, what they're hearing. Dude. Uh, so that's all real. Like we could talk about know. this for a while. Like just going down this route. Like this, I, I, and <laughs> like you're, you're, I'm sure, in the mindset of like, well, this isn't very glamorous. Like it's just what I did. But like I'm pretty sure the lay person such as myself hears this and like this is actually fascinating. <laughs> this is kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway dude i i get it and I, you know it is and i i i have to have pinch me moments sometimes when i was flying a lot um because like anything it, it becomes a job 
but in reality, it's a really cool job. Um, so like it's it's something that where we as you know as fighter pilots are really good at um, compartmentalizing and focusing on to get things done. But at the same time, you got to step back and like realize it's it's pretty cool and it's an honor to do what we do. What and, was uh, a so, uh, yeah, it's fun. a pinch me moment that you can think of off the top of your head? Yeah, this the my go to story for that is I was an England young guy, and um, it, it's not a cool story as in like I did something cool, but it was a it was a good lesson learned from me as a young guy. So like we took off. You know, you have to wake up early. You get there like three hours ahead of taking off. Like it's a lot of work to even just get to the jet. And then you finally take off and it was weather and we couldn't do anything we wanted to do. And it just like felt boring and we just, it was, it was terrible. Right. And then we land still in the weather. It's raining. It's miserable. It's England. And the little 18-year-old crew chief guy throws up the ladder and climbs up. And he's like, hey, sir, how's it going? And he's, like, taking my bags. I'm like, oh, man, it's whatever. It sucks. Like, it, it was terrible up there. Like, we didn't have any, any good time or anything. He's like, hell of a lot better than down here. As he, go, he goes back down his, his ladder and walks away. And I kind of just sat there. I'm like, dang, good point, man. You know, like, he would give his left arm to go and do what I just did and then what I do on a, on a given basis. So, it was definitely one of those like, all right, man, like you got to be grateful for what you have. Gotcha. Um, so okay, well, the last time you were on the pod, I guess the only other time you've been on the podcast, you talked about dropping bombs somewhere over the Middle East. I don't think you could tell where. I don't really, I can't remember what's classified, and what's not. But um, regardless, let's talk about your experiences in the Middle East with that tension and kind of. I mean, it doesn't need to be firsthand, but it could be things that like you remember kind of hearing or whatever else that might be and then even things you've read like because that will still be enlightening i'm sure to me and plenty of other people yeah uh, i'll take this in kind of two parts first like the deployment yeah it dropped a lot of weapons over on isis um and it was a rewarding time because i felt like we were um it felt like a, a really admirable time of, of our you know to be there as americans um Someone had to push back against evil, and I felt like that I was the the arm of that pushback um, that we set at some points. Never felt like I was in a position where I was really in danger. I'd say um, ISIS didn't really have much in capability to to kind of shoot us down or, or reach out and touch us. So um, it was a safe place to be if you know in a war if you had to be in a war, um, and couple things that come to mind when I'm dropping bombs was the first thing that kind of stood out to me was you see the you'd see the explosion and then this mushroom cloud if you will you know it looks like a mini not like a nuke but like a like a cloud of smoke but it was silent like you didn't hear anything and you're so far away and you have you know your headset on and you have the engines and you don't hear the explosion which was odd to me I, I wasn't expecting that and except I mean it makes sense once you hear it but wasn't something that you know came to my mind um and so we you know we shot we we brought down buildings we brought down um hideouts uh in fallujah iraq i was part of a a large package that we dropped eighty two thousand pound weapons onto a soccer stadium in fallujah iraq and they were using it as a you know a, a staging area yeah they had a bunch of equipment underneath the stands and so 
when something like that happens, it's pretty impressive to be, to be a part of it. There'll be one guy who's in charge of the whole package, and we each have our spot, and we need to show up at the right time and the, and the right location. And if they, you know, it's kind of like an oval stadium, and basically north, south, east, west were the points, and you'd have aircraft flying from all directions at separate times to release their weapons. Um, and it was probably over the matter of, I don't know, 40 minutes or so of uh, all of these weapons dropping on them. And it was, it was a really cool experience to be a part of. Um, another one I remember was in uh, that area as well. It was east or west of Baghdad uh, near Fallujah. And there's a, the Tigris River runs over there. And somewhere ISIS had dammed the river. And it was preventing water flowing from, to the south or, you know, irrigation for agriculture and stuff. And so they, they basically said, like, do whatever you guys can to break this dam. And it was just a dirt dam, you know. And so we're like, all right, let's, let's start. Let's think, like, let's go big. And so we put one – our biggest weapon that we carried at the time was a 2,000-pound weapon. So we put a 2,000-pounder on it. That's Moab, is it? And it just, like – no, the Moab is – man, what – I don't know you what ever, the Moab is. Fifteen, twenty thousand? No, that's a that's a out of the back of a C one thirty only gotcha. type of thing. I've dropped a five thousand pound weapon, so it's that it was a big girl. Uh, is it like so, one of those things where uh, once you drop we, it, so five thousand is the biggest? You like all of a sudden you just feel so much lighter flying out there. That's oh yeah, crazy. absolutely! Like immediately you you get you get some sense of uh, yeah, like, definitely. Oh man, the gas um, mileage just went up a ton. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, no, totally. That's funny, man. Yeah, we had, our last ejection was similar to that, where the guy, um, the guy released a weapon and was, got into a, a situation with, based on the imbalance of the aircraft, and, and it was kind of a dangerous thing. And he ejected over oh. Libya. Um, All right, anyway, sorry, yeah, I, I sidetracked. So that. you're dealing with this dam. You're thinking a two thousand pound. Oh yeah. Bomb. So we. 2,000 pound, like, yeah, you go big and let's, let's move this thing. So all it did though is just move the dam. It kind of like, it broke it on one part, but just created a crater on the other it. side. <laughs> and yeah, it just kind of moved and it. ISIS and they're like, oh, thanks. So we got, <laughs> like, yeah, we wanted the bigger better. things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it ended up being, we, we then dropped, um, I think, two 500 pounders and it kind of did the same thing so we kind of just released everything all at once which was probably another eight bombs um and they're all gps guided so you can like yeah. pinpoint exactly where you want them what do they say um, like in the, and that that finally uh, broke the dam like a butt of a camel or something like that like there was something some some bomb hit a camel <laughs> one time i remember that i remember that made news i can't remember if you or when that was, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> no, it was Obama. But haven't been a part of that. Okay, yeah. Um, so th- those are cool. And then obviously, like, any time we taken out moving vehicles and stuff is, is pretty interesting. Just the, the sheer amount of technology and uh, money that's gone into developing everything is pretty impressive. So, um, but that, that region is crazy, man. Like, we've been there since the 80s or 90s i guess go for one um and have had a constant presence for over 30 years yeah that is pretty wild and it's uh it's taxing like it's so like it's it's one of those things there where we we just haven't all we haven't figured it out we haven't 
one, if you will. You yeah, know? It's just, yeah, which it's is kind of a presence thing. A whole conversation in and of itself. Before we kind of get to this, because I, I have a specific question about the terrorist groups here in a second that'll help us transition into this. But real quick, before I've been thinking about it, what's the most like under duress you've ever felt? flying a jet where you're just like oh shoot like i'm not like i don't i don't know if you've ever had any specific life-threatening situations but you're just like oh gosh this is serious like i gotta like like be especially focused or however that transpired what was that like um i there's been a couple times where we've had either a significant emergency in my aircraft not not too significant i haven't had like something that crazy but then i've had um wingmen that have had pretty significant um emergencies like a system failure that caused them to divert real quick and when you say wingman um, you mean one that came to, comes you're to not, mind not talking like co-pilot right wingman is like specifically another Correct. fighter jet that's flying yeah typically you. we we fight in in a in two a you know, two ship we call it, so two jets or a four ship are kind of our, our standard formations that we would fight in. Um, and so that would, uh, there was this time we were flying from England to, I think we were going to Alaska. Um, and How long is in that one, flight? No, I think, so I, th- I think we were stopping in, um, in Massachusetts, and then we would wake up the next day and do the next part to Alaska. But the the exercise was in Alaska, so I think this one was to Massachusetts. Um, and we took off out of England, and um, it was a four ship, and I was leading it. And they do what's called a squirt check. Basically, before you get too far away from home, let's get you on the tanker and make sure you can take gas and then all the systems work, and then we'll continue going on. So we call it a squirt check, and. Um, we took off with two tankers and the plan was to have us to use the one tanker until he got and he was empty and then he would turn around and go back to England where they were based off of and then we would transfer to the the larger tanker and they would take us across the Atlantic so where we took off the tankers took off at a different base and where we rejoined with them you had one tanker ahead of the other tanker kind of in a climb and then we rejoined on to this back tanker and when you have that, you have what's called, um, it's, it's kind of like wake, it's called wake turbulence, but it's kind of like off of the, the, the wings of the big tanker are these vortices that you can, you can't really see. So if you're flying behind and low of one of these things, you are likely going to fly into the wake turbulence of that. So, uh, we were in the climb and the, the tanker really wanted to get this squirt check out of the way. And so I was like, that's fine. I was the... The flight lead so i would go first i went got my gas two three number three got their gas and then comes in number four and they were brand new wingmen really young uh, which doesn't really change what happened but it was it just shows that the the experience level was pretty low um so they go and they're kind of having a hard time to get on the tanker and finally as they're approaching it the tanker that they were trying to receive gas from flew into the weight turbulence of that bigger tanker ahead of it and it caused so much disruption that the, the tanker he was on lost about 2,000 feet no of way. altitude. And mind you, he was like, he was almost on the tanker. Oh, and I, we watched the tape later and you see the big boom flying back and forth across the, 
we have a camera in, in the, the nose of the aircraft. And you can see the, this boom flying around and easily could have hit him. Um, and the tanker actually, um, they, they diverted and they, they went home. They were scared enough, but they actually over their aircraft which tankers don't do like that's something that we, we do as fighter pilots sometimes where you you go more than the g allowable for the airframe and the thing broke like it broke the wings um but the we all had to, we didn't have enough gas at that point had to turn around and go home but it was probably the the one that i almost saw someone wait so what, what happened to the know? tanker though you said it the, broke their wings but like it didn't they didn't crash the, the, the plane it no no it didn't crash but it, it was enough damage where they they had to take the jet apart once they landed um, so he, they, everyone landed safely. Everyone was fine. But once the maintenance got in there, started looking at it like, yeah, this is not good. We have that's we have wild, man. This. So okay, just to clarify for anybody listening that doesn't really know, because even my first thought was like, oh, you're gonna like land on like a big ship, like an aircraft carrier. But no, you're talking about a tanker in the sky. And what comes to mind for me is if you've seen Air Force One, they actually do that uh, on the movie Air Force One, where a tanker flies above the the Air Force One plane drops down that line and then like connects it somewhere yep. and then it's just refueling it midair really cool technology that they're able to do that exactly in. so right. that's what you're going through right here with the smaller and the bigger tanker but that sounds like it was a, a an issue with the small tanker like it was the small taker tank pilot that made the it error. was his yeah. it was his fault really yeah they really shouldn't have been doing what they were doing um, and maybe we should have caught it and um, but end of the day everyone everyone survived it was okay it just you know was definitely one of those like holy crap that was that's close, pretty wild you know, that's pretty wild moments. okay yeah um all right so oh and then also i had another question too it's weird to think about like these uh fighter jets like as commuter planes <laughs> so like so like yeah. how long would a flight from england to massachusetts normally take you uh so you can you can go fast or you can be fuel efficient and go far. You can't do mm-hmm. both. It's kind of the, the way you have to think about it. So if you want to go really fast, you're not going to get very far because you're going to use up all your gas and you're going to be done. So it's you typically slow down and you're in the 300 knots you know type no regime what knots is. where your airliner your airliner's flying around at like 280. Oh, so it's not even that big of a difference. So you're you're flying around wow. at no, you're flying around about air, airline speeds. So yeah. do you? Because it's the most fuel efficient way Dude, to, to get there. How bored do you get? Do you like? Do you have to get like? Do you oh, get it's car service on your fighter jet, dude. Do you? Do you, do you <laughs> no, do you're strapped down. Coke Zero yeah. or some peanuts or like? Do you? Do you, you have, have flight to, entertainment. You got to pee into a bag. Is what you <laughs> no have to do. Entertainment, dude. Yeah, yeah. We definitely would bring. You know, we'd bring our own music and. Um, I, I flew around the Kindle sometimes. Oh, that's cool. And, that's and nice read, that you get that at least. That's really about it. Yeah, like you can't. There's really. Yeah. All right. That, last, that's it. And you're talking with your last bro, question, but... and I'm glad I'm thinking about this before we get into kind of the dynamics, political dynamics of things that we know of, right? That we can even address. You ever see an alien, dude? Any any ships or anything? Because that's coming out big no. time these days. All these jet pilots are like, yeah, I've seen it this, is. I've seen that. You've never seen anything like that. Never seen anything like that in my life. I, the the craziest thing I saw was like Starlink via night vision goggles, which is pretty sweet. Um, well, how different does no, that I never look? Saw... When you can just see Starlink in the sky. 
Really? Pretty amazing. I mean, MVGs, the night vision goggles are pretty amazing. And like, so looking at it like Aurora Borealis and, and that kind of stuff, you can see so much with MVGs because it just takes any, any minuscule amount of light and really enhances it. And so you can see, you can see a lot more stars. That's awesome. Actually, that's really cool. Well, dang, too bad you didn't see any aliens. That would, this podcast would have taken a wild turn. No, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. So and if I did, I probably wouldn't be able to yeah, tell you. Fair. So here Except we are. Except a bunch of guys are coming forward now <laughs> saying that they see him all the time. But uh, anyway. Um, yeah. All right. So we talked about ISIS. And we talked about kind of the the offshoot of ISIS from Al-Qaeda. That was that al-Baghdadi guy. Where does Hamas come into play? Like, where, like Hamas is just like ISIS in a lot of ways. But where, like, what's their offshoot? Like, who's leading them? And, like, what's their goal and all that stuff because Hamas is who attacked Israel almost a month ago and obviously that was something that they took credit for that they thought they were doing like for the greater good on their end and all that stuff but what like what do you know about Hamas yeah um so first off I am not like a political scientist or expert by any stretch so I'm I'm sure I'm going to uh, mess up a lot of this uh, information so uh, your viewer, viewers will promptly correct me you know Palestine and Israel have had a, a long uh, a long history didn't just start back in October 7th you know it didn't I mean I guess it could have maybe started back in 1947 but you could go biblical really easily with a lot of this stuff um, so what I'll talk about a little bit is my experience in Israel um, so I've spent about a month in Israel um, and kind of relayed a little bit to what um, what we've seen over the last month. So let me um, let me show a Google Maps here. Do, do, do. How do I do this with the share screen? Yeah, do you see the share button at the bottom there? Do you want me to do presentation or screen? Uh, yeah, do so. Do share. You could just do screen if you've got it. If you've got it popped up on your end. Boom. You see that? It'll take a second. Okay. Sometimes no, it takes yeah. a bit. All right, do you see it on your end? Yeah. Well, I see. Oh, I see it. It's still loading it. Yeah. Um, Are we in pause right now? No, we're good. We got this. Okay. All right. Okay, cool. So um, just to give everybody's geography a little bit, right? Uh, if you haven't looked at it in the last month and living under a rock, here it is. So what we were just talking about, United Arab Emirates, that's where we were based out of. And we would go up the Persian Gulf. Sorry, this should say Arabian Gulf. We don't say Persian because that uh, gives credence to the Persians, i.e. the Iranians. So we use the word Arabian Gulf. I didn't know Gulf. that. Uh, neither here nor there. Yeah, there you go. There's this little bit of land here between Kuwait and Iran. That's where we would enter Iraq. Um, and then we would fly up here into Syria and Iraq and do our stuff. I'm oh, sorry, that's not Syria. This is Syria. And so you can see it's, I mean, that's a pretty far distance that we would fly every day to and from. Yeah. On this side is Israel, right? So you have the Mediterranean over here. Um, you have Egypt on the west side. You have Jordan on the, sorry, on the, yeah, on the east side. And then you have Lebanon to the north with a little bit of Syria that can touch as well. So these guys are 
100% surrounded by people who absolutely hate their guts, right? Um, part of this is where we're currently sitting. You can kind of see Google thrown down the line. This dashed line is what's called the, the border for the West Bank. Or if you'd like to prefer to use Judea is the actual term of the area. Um, West Bank kind of uh, brings it more towards, hey, let's normalize it a little bit. But it's no kidding part of Israel. So it, it was Judea. Um, and it's the West Bank of the River Jordan that you can see here that goes into the Dead Sea. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a heavily Palestinian populated area. And the other one is this little sliver called the Gaza Strip, and that's kind of what everyone's talking about recently. So the Gaza Strip, I think, is about 20 miles long, about four miles wide, and they have, I believe, is it four million people here? Like, it is a densely, densely populated area. Um, And this area is um, 100% Palestinian run now as of, I think, 2005, Israel pulled completely out of it and allowed them to just run their own show. Two million in the Gaza Strip. Um, this is a physical... Thank you, two million. That sounds right. Um, this is a physical border. Uh, I think it's a, a fence line type thing that goes around at least these three sides. And there is a, also a, a border with Egypt. Um, and you can see like it's kind of pushed against the ocean. And they don't really have much place to go. And they are surrounded also by people who really don't like them, i.e. the Israelis. Um, On the west side, you'd think, oh, Egypt's probably really friendly. Palestinians are not people who uh, are really liked by anyone. They're kind of outcasts from all of these countries. I've actually heard Egyptians hate Palestine, like, even worse in some ways. They do. Everyone does. Like, the question that I've been kind of thinking to myself over the last month is, like, if if we care so much about, can't we find a different place that would take these people in and... And the answer comes up, I think, that nobody really wants to kind of talk about is nobody wants these people, but we'll use them as a political advantage to put pressure on the people we actually really hate of Israel. And that's kind of that's the idea that that kind of I've heard. Um, So we uh, we brought our squadron to Israel for a month back in 2017, I want to say. And if you think about it, we flew from England um, and we flew down uh, over France, all the way over um, and into uh, into Israel through the Mediterranean. Um, so when we met up with Israelis, um, they have strike eagles that they fly as well, and they um, they met up with us over the the Mediterranean, and then they flew with us over Jerusalem over uh, what's called the Masada, which I'll show in a second. And then we flew down into the Dead Sea and then all the way down to this airport, which I won't bring in into the Google Maps. You guys will find it, I'm sure. Uh, But there's a base down here that they consider to be secret, uh, but you you can find it easily. (laughs) Where we did stay, though, is um, in the city of Alot, which is an awesome little vacation spot. And uh, look how close the border to Egypt and Jordan are. Like it is, where is the Jordan here? There it is. Like you can go out your hotel room and easily see Jordan and Israel. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the, that's the Jordanian border. So it was pretty cool to see how these, all three of these uh, nations kind of come together. This is the um, 
the Red Sea, I believe it's on, right? Gulf of Aqaba. I'm pretty sure this is the Red Sea. Hmm. Or is this the Red Sea? People will fix me. Anyway, so every day we would drive up the this road right here that borders Egypt, and you would see, no kidding, like machine gun nests pointing into Israel on these mountaintops. And these are, this is... The, uh, along this Egyptian... E e from, Egypt from Egypt pointing into Israel, Israel, Israel pointing into Egypt. Like, it, it was kind of like, and you know, Egypt and Israel have had a long history of wars uh, amongst themselves. Um, and then we would, we would go up here, we'd go to our base, and we would fly. I knew, and same I knew thing, we would fly up. Texas Tech, by the way. And I, I freaking love that guy. Oh, really? I forgot his name. He was awesome, man. I really liked that guy. Anyway, sorry. Nice. No, you're good. Um, so we would fly up the Egyptian border, and we would fly over the Gaza Strip every day. And we would kind of push into the water, and then we would fight over here. And when I say fight, we would train with the Israelis. Um, all sorts of stuff. The, the things that really took kind of that – that come to mind about them is – we typically, when we would do what's a, a, a you know a fight called d defensive counter air, and pretend like there's a base, a military base we want to protect, and there's bad guys flying in jets and bombers, and we would try to shoot down the bad guys before they get to the the base that we're trying to protect. So we're defending, so defensive counter air uh, against against bad guys. So typically we would we would set up these scenarios where we would have like a point. That like a base, and then it would be like a you know 150 mile by 30 mile wide. We call it a lane, almost like a, a large football field, mm. and that's where we would do all of our fighting. And you do that in Nellis, or in Vegas, or in Utah, or whatever. Um, so we wanted to do a defensive counter air scenario with the Israelis, and so they set it up, and they what they did instead of having a hundred mile you know room to work with. They drew a line right here from the Gaza, point of the Gaza Strip into the Dead Sea. And they said, okay, all the good guys are going to be um, down here in this wedge right here. And all the bad guys are going to start over the water and push into here. And by the way, if you cross this line, you get shot down by um, fake surface-to-air missiles. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, we can't do this, guys. Like, that's not enough room. We have all these tactics. Like, we need more airspace. And they're like, this is our reality. Like, this is literally what we have to deal with every day. We can't cross into this border. We can't cross into this border. Like, you guys figure it out. And it was an eye-opener of, like, holy crap. Like, they literally live in this wedge every day of their lives and are constantly being pestered from internal threats, i.e., the Palestinians or Hamas in this instance. Um, you have the Hezbollah from the Lebanon pushing him on this side. You have the Syrians pushing him on this side. Then you have all of this, the Iranian influence that fund all of these groups and give them money, give them tools, give them weapons in order to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I saw the Houthi rebels, which are fighting this war in Yemen, south of Saudi Arabia, they have declared war on the Israelis. Um, it, it is just such a, an incredible mess that is going on here um, from all sides. I think what President Trump did 
with the Arabian Accords back, you know, yeah. if you remember those, really started to normalize the relations with Israel with all of these countries. Um, and what it sounds like is that is the the catalyst for a lot of this is we can't be normalizing Hamas, Israel. We got to Hamas sure is going to get left behind. It sounds like right, specifically within Palestine, they're going to yeah. be like everyone because like they got nothing. They got nothing, and if everybody leaves them behind, absolutely. Peace, not that they wanted any peace. They didn't want any peace. But from what I understand, yeah, they were thinking we better stop this treaty from going all the way through because if it does, we're screwed. Like we got nobody on our side. Absolutely. I mean, especially especially if Saudi Arabia really bites off on it. I took off out of Riyadh uh, to fly back to England. Oops, don't click on that. Uh, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Place sucked, man. Like it was terrible. I I want. I was in. A, I was on the ground in Saudi Arabia for eleven hours. We were delivering aircraft to them, uh, Strike Eagles that they bought, and I wanted to get out of there because it just felt terrible. When I took off, you know how on the back of a. Um, on the screen, you know, headrests mm-hmm. on an airplane, and you can mess around with the moving map and stuff. I was kind of doing exactly what we're doing here and zooming around, seeing what stuff was around in Jordan. But literally, this whole part of Israel, the outline was there, but none of these cities' names were on there. It was just blank. You'd have, you know, Amman, Jordan, and you'd have Cairo, Egypt, and you'd have uh, Beirut, Lebanon. But you, there was no Jerusalem, there was no Tel Aviv, there was nothing. It was almost as if two more people, like, yeah, the land exists, but the country, de- like, we don't, don't recognize. We, it literally doesn't yeah. exist. Isn't that, that wild? Is wild. Um, so, um, anyway, it was, it was a pretty cool experience. We spent uh, a few weeks there uh, training with those guys, flying every day. Um, the other cool thing I thought I'd share with you. So when you fly over the Dead Sea, if you don't know this, the Dead Sea is actually below zero elevation. So, you know, the sea level is zero. Um, anything above that is obviously above the sea level. The Dead Sea is below sea level. So when you're flying in an airplane, your altimeter is based off of air pressure. That's it. And so if, as long as you have it dialed correctly, if you were at sea level, you would be at zero feet on the altimeter. So when you're descending into the Dead Sea and to, to fly, you know, 500 feet above it, your altimeter, no kidding, says negative 500 mm. feet because it's 500 feet below the surface of, of uh, the, the ocean. So that was trippy. It was kind of cool. Um, and to kind of low, low fly during the, this area. But, man, these guys are scrappy. They, uh, they're, they're really good pilots. They, they have a lot of our good... Um, um, equipment and everything. And so we find ourselves in a really interesting situation here um, to be at, in a, in my opinion, a hot, um, a hot war proxy war with Russia via Ukraine. We're in a hot proxy war with Iran right now uh, via Israel. We're in a cold war with China. Uh, our borders are not secure. Um it is, I think there's, there's uh, I mean, one other thing that can, shoot, what was it that I was thinking of? Oh, and Korea still isn't safe. This is a precarious situation for our, um, for our nation. And, you know, I, I fear for um, my brothers and sisters that are still out there doing the, the fight because it's going to be an interesting next um, year to 10 years to 100 years. I don't know. Um, and where we go from here. Um, are we ready to be able to do all this? I don't know. Uh, I really don't know, yeah. but um, we'll do our best. It's 
it's pretty wild, man. Like, and I just, to me, I remember, I don't know if you've heard this, but like, it's like the last day's doctrine is that like the whole world, like all the nations will war against Israel, right? I think that's, I can't remember where that is, but it's somewhere in the scriptures. It's probably either um, Isaiah or uh, Revelations, but regardless i remember growing up thinking like how is that going to happen how is that going to transpire and you just didn't really know i mean granted i don't know political dynamics that at that age either but now i see it where i'm like the the craziest thing to me is the fact that the u.s now seems like there's a lane like an avenue in which they might actually join up with other nations against israel because you're starting to see it in our own political figures which was unheard of 10 15 20 years ago we never we never spoke badly about Israel, and now we're starting to see it pop up here and there. And you're actually having a, this ongoing debate now of like who's at fault for all the turmoil that's going on in the Middle East. Is it Israel or is it everybody yeah. else? Um, and more specifically, you see it in college campuses. Like these are supposed to be like the thought leaders, the trendsetters, and what we're supposed to talk about. And you're having this type of ideology being thrown around there that Israel's at fault. And you're like, this is crazy. I mean, I understand that there's an argument on, I guess, their side. I don't, I mean, I don't really adhere to that because I think the bottom line is the fact that there's, you know, Palestinians and there's Muslims living in Israel and there is no Israeli or Jews living in any other Arab state kind of tells you everything you need to know about the, the conflicts yeah. there and kind of like Maybe maybe who's at fault at least most for perpetrating evil, just my opinion. Um, yeah. But anyway, all this to say, I can't believe that we're now seeing that this all kind of makes sense. This last days, like revelation and this doctrine, and you're just like, this is this is starting to unfold right before our very eyes. It's pretty crazy. It very well could be. It could be the time, or maybe not. That'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for checking in, everyone. If you liked what you heard today, I ask super quickly if you could just follow or subscribe to the podcast, give it a rating, give it a review, tell your friends about it. All of that stuff helps me quite a bit. Watching the growth has been super humbling and motivating to keep going, and I could not possibly appreciate all of you more. Sitting on my table, I'm watching Because everything's changing my mind Goes to a different time so madly there must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night cause I could almost see it did you fade right out of you if it takes time 